Hey, take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and go ahead and find Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. So we're looking at God's Word together today. And happy Father's Day again. Those of you who are fathers here in this place, we're grateful for you all, grateful and praying for you as well. You know, fatherhood is one of the greatest moments where you can celebrate, but also those moments where you can face challenge, right? I mean, as a father, you get to celebrate so many different things. So I was thinking, like, just the first, like the first step, um, the first day of school, the first time they attend some type of academic or athletic banquet, a lot of things that you get to celebrate, right? All those firsts that you have in life, and those of you who are going to be fathers, you'll see that. You maybe experienced it on the other side as your father was there. The great, great moments of joy. But also, challenge. Challenge. Sometimes you think about the first there, the first tooth that was pulled, the first bike accident that your child had, the first time a child experienced some type of relational issue with a friend. All kinds of challenges in that. There have been times I've said, God, I wish you had brought me a little more manual. Now, I understand there are people that say, oh, you got the manual, the Bible. And yes, the Bible is the handbook for the family. I got that. But sometimes I wish you had fleshed it out just a little more to help me in some of these areas, in some of these specific moments, like, because there are challenges. So I've got joy and you got challenge, but it's the blessing of fatherhood. You see within fatherhood, you see within fatherhood power, peril, and promise. And I want to show you that today. I want to particularly look at three different figures, three different examples of fatherhood that you find in this passage. So we're going to begin in verse 18, and you're going to see the first one in Jethro. You're going to see Jethro as the power of blessing, the power of a father's blessing. We're going to begin there, but let me give you the context again. Most of you have been following this series, and you know this, but Moses has been called by God to go deliver the people there in Egypt. He is going to deliver God's people. It's a great task. It's a great mission. He has had this burning bush experience. God had manifested himself, and now Moses, after some type of protest, he has now relented to God's activity in his life. He's surrendered to God. So in verse 18, it says that he is now moved from Sinai. That's where he was, Mount Sinai, when he had this epiphany, this burning bush moment. And now he has gone back to Midian, where his home would be. He has gone back to his family. And look in verse 18. Here's where we pick up in the story. It says, so Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. So Moses goes back to Midian and he comes to Jethro. And you'll see a tremendous respect that Moses has for Jethro. Why? Because remember, 40 years earlier, Jethro had been there for him. Jethro had embraced him. Jethro had brought him into his family. Jethro is his father-in-law, but for all practical purposes, in the last 40 years, Jethro has been his dad. Jethro has been a father figure. Jethro had given him a job, a livelihood, a new start in life, and a new hope for family 
and for blessing. So he respected Jethro. See, I'm not sure that Moses really had to go to Jethro. I'm not sure that Moses, at the age of 80, had to go back to Jethro and say, Jethro, I I need to tell you what I'm doing. He could have gone back, loaded up his wife, his kids, and just headed out. But notice the way he did things. He did things right. He respected his father-in-law. He respected that father figure that had been in his life, the one who had been there for him for these 40 years. He goes back to... Oh, maybe we should stop today and thank God, not only for our earthly fathers, but also for those other father figures that we've had in life. And many of us have had those. We've had like mentors. We've had teachers. We have had coaches. We've had all kinds of people, maybe granddads, spiritual dads, who invested in us like Jethro. And we ought to give respect there. We ought to thank God for them, just as Moses did. Moses goes to Jethro and he says, Jethro, I need to to go. I'm leaving. I want to go back to Egypt. Now, he does not tell Jethro everything. I'm surprised and perplexed by this somewhat. Because he does not say, Jethro, I need to go because God's spoken to me. What does Jethro, how does he approach Jethro? He comes and he says, I got some friends down in Egypt. They may still be alive. I want to go back and see these folks. We might take a little spin around the pyramids. We might go and we might enjoy a little night out on the town there in Cairo. We've got to go back to Egypt so we can see some folks. Again, Moses is 80 years old. He's talking to this dad figure. He's talking to his boss. Don't forget that. He's talking to his boss. And he comes and he says, we just got to go to Egypt for a little while, see some friends. Now, I don't know how that would go over with your boss, especially if your boss was a father-in-law. Like, you come up to your boss and say, hey, I need to tell you, i got to be off a few days. Well, you do, yes, it's got to be off. Actually, it might be a couple, three weeks because it's going to be a long journey. But what are you doing? Something's happening? Some emergency? No, I'm just going to see some friends. Just going to enjoy my life again, see some spectacle. It's going to be fun. How would your boss respond? How, how would your, especially, let me say this. Especially if your boss was your father-in-law. How would he respond necessarily to that? Well, I would have thought Jethro would have said something like, Now Moses, this sounds, this sounds a little rash. Moses, you, are you sure? Moses, i got to make some arrangements. Do you know those little sheep, they depend upon you? As a matter of fact, little Lucy, she only responds to your voice when you talk to her. I'm going to have to have somebody else. We're going to have to have a transition time where maybe we can work this out. Or Moses, you should have warned me a little bit. I could have called the temp agency. We could have had somebody over here shepherding your sheep. We could have been working them through this transition if you would have just given me a little update. But Jethro does not say that. See, Moses respects Jethro, and he asks for permission. But notice the respect that Jethro has for his son-in-law. I think it's a mutual respect. You see this? See the way they're communicating? Because Moses didn't just assume. Moses went and said, hey, Jethro, I need this, this is what I'm hoping to do. And, and Jethro speaks the father's blessing into his life. I want you to see this, because this is important. Because Jethro gives us a picture of the power of a father's blessing. Jethro says, go, go. 
He did not ask him questions. He didn't try to rationalize things. He didn't try to reason it away. He just said, Moses, go. He had known Moses for 40 years. He knew Moses' heart. He knew his experiences. And I believe Jethro is like, if, if this young, if I say young man, 80-year-old man thinks that this is what he needs to do, then that's what he needs to do. It is a release that Jethro gives. It is a release of blessing. Now see, Dr. James Dobson talked years ago about how parents ought to be willing and able to release their kids when the opportunity comes. He talked about it as an emancipation from the family, that you need to be freed from the family. And of course, that's what you read in the book of Genesis, is it not? In the book of Genesis, it says that a man will leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It is the idea that at some point in life, this son is going to leave his family of origin. And he is going to create a new family unit. And they are going to be one. They are going to be a, a family together. Now that doesn't mean you just cut your parents off. Or your grandparents off. It doesn't mean that you don't love them anymore. I love my parents. Mama, did you hear me? See, they're watching me now every Sunday morning. And they want to know. I always have to have a conversation with them about the sermon that week, you know. So they need it. I love my mom. I love my dad. There's nothing wrong with loving your mom, loving your dad. But there comes a time when you are to go out on your own. You are to be released. And parents need to be an active part of this, of speaking blessing into their children's lives and saying, hey, you can go. You can go. We free you. Too many parents still try to control relationships even after there's a new bond dr dobson did have an article some years ago it was called the 12 marriage killers and it listed these different characteristics that would challenge your marriage one of the marriage killers interference from in-laws interference from in-laws again doesn't mean you reject them wholeheartedly it just simply means that you show them respect but you also know that you have been released so Jethro says, go. But he doesn't just release him. He, re he releases him with a sense of blessing. He says what? He says, go in peace. The Hebrew for peace is obviously shalom. Shalom. Shalom is more than a greeting. Shalom is more than just a nicety to say, yeah, we hope that you have a good... The word shalom entailed a whole life experience. In other words, we hope that every aspect of your life is governed in peace. We hope that you will see success. We hope that you will be... What he's saying? What is he saying? He's saying, I'm cheering you on, Moses. I'm not here to hold you back. I'm not here to try to keep you chained to this job that I've given you. Rather, I am blessing you as you go out. I bless you. I want to see the best for your life and what power there is in that. And I say to us dads, we need to remember the words of Robert Lewis as he reflected upon the experience of the father 
and Jesus' relationship in baptism and transfiguration. Remember what the Father said to Jesus? He said, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Robert Lewis said that means that for all of us dads, if we are to reflect the heart of the Father, we are to say three things to our children. You are my beloved Son. I love you. Every child needs to hear that from their parent. Every child needs to hear that from their father. I love you. The second, in whom I am well pleased, I am proud of you. I'm proud of you. And then in the transfiguration event, the father speaking out of heaven says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then you'll look at the rest of them and you'll say, listen to him. In other words, he knows what he's talking about. Jesus does. So you look at your children and you say, you're good at this. And tell them what they're good at. I love you. Proud of you. You're good at. Because there's power in the blessing of a father. There's power in speaking into the parents, uh, to the child's life, that is. Speaking into the child's life and speaking shalom. It's power of blessing. You know, one of the greatest days of my life was when I was ordained to ministry. Now, some of you may have been to ordination service. Some of you may not have been. But for us, there at Birmingham Ridge Baptist Church on that Sunday afternoon, it was a time of celebration. My home pastor got up and preached a little bit. My professor from Blue Mountain College that I'd loved, he got up and he challenged me in the ministry and the work. We prayed, we sang. And then there came that time in the service where I was to come before all of the congregation and I was to kneel on my knees and the ordained men would pass around and they would lay hands on me. Not in order to convey some power to me. I had all the power I ever needed through the Holy Spirit. But rather as a commissioning, as a recognition, as an affirmation saying, you are going out from here and we love you, we trust you, we empower you, we, we bless your ministry, we bless you. And there were so many guys that came by that day. Guys that had taught me, deacons who had taught me in Sunday school, ministers that had let me already preach in their pulpits, people that had been in churches past and even... There were those that were there from the ch church I was going into. So the church future for me. They were all there. But no hands meant as much as the hands of my dad. As he placed those hands on me that day to be ordained. My dad had been ordained as a deacon not really that long before I was ordained in ministry. But here I am, the different people coming violing, and then my dad's hands. And his spoken word, I love you. And the affirmation that he gave me. Can I tell you what a power, a sense of assurance that I felt that my dad stood there and he literally blessed me. And he was encouraging me in my ministry. Can I tell you how powerful that is? That's this moment. This is where Jethro says, Moses, go, man. I'm blessing you. All the shalom and peace of life, the success, go. And I say all of us need to experience that. And if you're a dad here, you need to be, you need to be releasing that blessing within your, parent, within your child's life. 
You need to be doing that. You need to release the blessing. You don't, you don't have to have like a church service. You don't have to have an ordination service. Listen, children know when their fathers come into their life, not to bless immorality or anything like that, but to bless them as they are serving, as they are working, as they are trying to seek the Lord. And even if they're going to make some mistakes of continuing to be there to cheer them on, they know they experience the shalom. And you and I, we just need to be reminded, those of us who are fathers, we got to continue, continue to see the power of blessing. You see that in Jethro's life. As he gives this blessing to Moses. But let me move to the second example. The second example is Moses himself. But there you'll see a little different example. I would tell you that you see the peril of a father's neglect. The peril of a father's neglect. So look in verse 19. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go return to Egypt. For all the men who sought your life are dead. So God comes and he says, you got an open door because all the Egyptian leadership that were trying to kill you, they're gone. And in the ancient Near East, when the leaders like this died, that meant that the criminal charges had been dismissed. So in other words, you're not going to get killed right when you walk into Egypt. You're a free guy. You can go back to Egypt. Look in verse 20. He takes the next logical step. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey and he returned to the land of Egypt and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. What did Moses do? Loaded up the family. You're going to get a new job. You got to move. You're going to take the family with you. And that's what he does. He says, come on, we got to go. And now I wonder how this all transpired, okay? I always think this through like how, how did Moses explain this to Zipporah? Like, I've, I've changed ministry sites before, and I've had to go in and say, hey, Les, I got a call from someone, you know, something like that. But, I mean, how, how did this go down? I mean, I'm seeing Moses walk in, and Zipporah, I mean, Moses has been gone to, to Sinai for weeks, and now Zipporah sees him. So, I'm sure Zipporah started running. Well, they've been married for a while. She was walking toward him, and she hugged him and embraced him said, Moses, you're back. I'm so proud. I mean, it's been so lonely without you. And, but, but I have such a list for you to do at home. I've been working on the list. And, I mean, the things around this house have been falling apart. And I've got it here. And you, anyway, so I'm proud you're home. I'm proud you're home. Moses said, well, Zipporah, it's, it's not home for long. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I got a new job. You got a new job? I got a new job. You've been in the middle of Sinai. How could you get any kind of interview? I got a job. Got a job. Where's this job? Well, that's the tough part, Zipporah. It's in Egypt. Egypt? Egypt. You know how far that is away from my daddy? Do you know how far that is away from my family? Yeah, but... Egypt, it's got, it's the opportunity that I have. Opportunity. Moses, do you remember the first time we met? You were sitting down by a well. Yeah, you were sitting over there pouting. and Well, you did get up and help me. You did do that. And something I loved about you, Moses, the way you were there, compassionate. But Moses, you had just come from Egypt. You remember how that worked out for you? You remember how that job, I mean, 
Same company, basically, it seems like. And it wasn't good. How do you think things are going to be different now? And by the way, what does Egypt have to offer? I mean, do they recognize college football on Saturdays? Do they have a Chick-fil-A? As a matter of fact, you know what I heard about the Egyptians? I heard they worship cats. Who would want to live in a community that would esteem cats? Who? I can only imagine the conversation that went back and forth. But Moses said, well, got to go. Well, why we got to go? Because God told me. Okay, Moses, tell me how God talked to you. Well, I was out in the middle of a desert, and all of a sudden this bush started burning. And I heard a voice, Moses, you want us to uproot our life based upon a burning bush out in the middle of nowhere where you think you heard something. I don't know if it went just like that. But I'm going to tell you that sometimes when God moves you and you have to come back, I mean, you have to have some tough conversations. He's including his family in this. He's bringing them along. And when you have a job move or something else, oftentimes you have to discuss it with your wife. You have to discuss it with your dad. I applaud him. I applaud him for involving her. And she does go. Somehow she says yes. I think it is because she does trust Moses down deep. I think there is a mutual respect there that she trusts him and she trusts, you know, what he's talking about. So she goes with him. Guys, those of us who are here, those of us who are blessed to have supportive wives, we ought to say, God, thank you. Thank you. I always say, God, thank you for Leslie Bridges. I mean, she has put up with a, lie, a lot in her life as far as her husband and all. But she has moved with me in different times. They haven't always been as easy. There was a moment when I moved from Canaan Baptist Church. I just graduated college and we were going to New Orleans Seminary. I didn't have a job. She didn't have a job. But I said, this is where I think we ought to go. We ought to go to Picayune and we ought to live there. She, she never... She never balked. There were times when she said, okay, I would like to know where the paycheck, I mean, the money, I mean, because I don't want your mama paying for everything. Oh, I didn't mean to say that on this live stream. Maybe we can edit that somewhat. But um, said, I, how, how's the money going to come along? But she was with me. She got a teaching job in Picayune. She supported me for the first few months when I was going to seminary before God opened the church for me. I'm grateful. But here's the neglect or the peril of neglect. Because when you read on in this passage, you're going to read through verses 24 and 26, all the way through 26. And you'll find one of the most bizarre episodes in all of Scripture. Every time we read through the Bible together, every time I've had a congregation, we've read from Genesis to Revelation together. Every time somebody will get to this passage and they'll come to me with a question. Every time. I will know it's coming up. I will anticipate it and I'll go back and I'll read everything I can again on it. Because it has puzzled me through the years of looking at it. Because the Bible tells us that God meets Moses and he meets Zipporah and the family as they are going to Egypt. And the Bible says that God is ready to kill Moses. Is that not bizarre, strange, crazy? 
He just called him to go to Egypt and now he's meeting him on the road ready to kill him. Doesn't make sense. Why is God so upset with Moses? And somehow Moses knows it. Zipporah knows, she knows it. Maybe uh, Moses is sick unto death. We don't know exactly. They know though that God is like here and God has shown up and God is not happy. What was the failure of Moses? He had failed to circumcise his son. Now I know some of us look and say, big deal. I mean, big deal. He had failed to circumcise his son and God was that angry? Don't forget that circumcision was the sign of the covenant. It was a distinctive identity of the people of Israel. And in Moses' failure to circumcise his son, Moses had failed at the most basic task of the covenant. The most basic task was circumcise your sons. He had not done that. He had not done it. He had neglected routine obedience in his life. And this is the peril of neglect in a father. In a father, we can get so caught up in the great, wonderful mission and projects that we've got going on that we neglect the necessary routine obedience in our own families. Look at Moses. He's going to Egypt. He's going to deliver an oppressed people. He's going to deliver a nation. But he had not taken care of the most basic aspects of obedience in his own family. And because of that, resentment grows. Because the Bible tells us in those verses that Zipporah, his wife, has to step up and circumcise the son. Because when you fail as a father and as a husband to fulfill your spiritual responsibilities, somebody else will have to. And when that somebody else has to, resentment will grow because you did not do what you were supposed to do and that individual had to take on that burden. Maybe it's the wife that had to take on the burden and had to do what you should have done. That was your task. But but no, Moses, you're so caught up in your mission and your work toward Egypt that you forgot that your family needs you as well, Moses. And there is separation here. According to what I understand, Zipporah and the sons will stay perhaps until this son will find healing and then they will go back to Midian. You do not see them reconciled until Exodus chapter 18. Now there is reconciliation. Thank God for reconciliation. And we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks as we look at that passage of how God brings them back together. But because he failed in his routine obedience. He was separated from his wife and his children. The peril of neglect. And I just say again, guys, it's great that God has called you to something epic and wonderful. But don't forget your family is just as epic and wonderful as any mission, field, any opportunity, any work that you would ever find. My friends... We can literally save a nation and lose our own family if we're not careful. That's what Moses was about to do. 
you and I need to see the routine obedience that God places in our lives. Mundane things. We need to take care of with our kids. We need to take care of with our wives. We need to make sure that we are the people that we should be. And that we're fulfilling those routine obligations. Some years ago, Jason helped us understand this concept called work as worship. And I'm very grateful for him. And you'll hear us talk about it because we need to recognize that all work, not just a preacher work, not just church work, that all work is sacred and that God calls us to our stations in life. He calls us to that work and he wants to use us. I'm grateful for that concept, work as worship. But you and I need to hear this. We should not worship our work. Just because we've got a good job and these are the things, mission, we shouldn't worship our work. Especially at the expense of our families. So there's the peril of neglect. That's what you see in this passage. Moses, he does well, gets them all together, but he's neglected something big. And that is his obedience in his own family. So let me give you the last example that you'll see here in scripture. And it is... God the Father himself, the greatest picture of fatherhood that you could find. And in this, you will see the promise of love, the promise of love. So this is the Lord. Verse 21, and the Lord, notice all caps, Lord, because it refers to the covenant God of Israel, Yahweh, the I am that I am. That's what you find here. The Lord, the I am that I am, said to Moses. When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, get this, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. Did you see that? God just identified himself as the father of the nation of Israel, the father of the people. Sometimes I believe there is no greater metaphor, there is no greater image for God than father. He says, you go, you tell my son Israel, my son. It says he cares and he loves the people. He loves Israel. We know that. We had seen through Exodus where he had heard their cries. And he had heard them. He had been attentive to them. And he was moving into their lives. He loved them. He said, my son. That personal pronoun, my, transforms everything. Transforms everything. Now, I don't see as many grandparents in here as I had this morning in the 9 o'clock blended service. I saw a lot of grandparents in there. And... You know, grandparents would do this to you. Some of you, you've got grandparents like this. They, they'll come up and be like, hey, I want to show you, show you my grandchild. They got your phone out. They're trying to show you a picture. My, my grandchild, my grandchild. Now, of course, they got to do it a little socially distant from you now. But they, they'll, still, they'll still kind of, hey, can you see my, my grandchild? And what's funny is they never show you anybody else's grandchild. They never come up to you and say, Hey, let me show you my friend Betty's grandchild. This is a Betty's grandchild. I never said that. I've never had one person come up to me and say, You know what? 
Jim's grandkids are the most beautiful grandkids. I want to show you some pictures of those. They're the smartest. No, 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 no. They always want to show you about my grandchildren. My grandchildren. Why? Because that personal pronoun, my, communicates some type of connection, love, and relationship. Right? Hear it again. My son. God says, I love this, this nation, this people. My son. Mine. He even says they're the firstborn. I went back and looked at Deuteronomy 21, 15 through 17. There in that passage talks about the firstborn rights, firstborn privileges. In the Old Testament, the idea was the firstborn, they had a favored status. Don't they still in many ways, right? But the firstborn, they had a favored status. Firstborn son would receive double portion of the inheritance. Double portion. So listen to what, listen what God just said. God said, you're my son. I love you. You're my favored son. You deserve a double portion of the love, of the blessing. You tell my son Israel. You know, you and I as a church, we are in a sense like a new Israel. According to what I understand in Scripture, you and I are now the community of Christ. Not bound by ethnicity or geography, but we are the people of God. We are Israel. How did we do it? We came through our faith in Christ. Remember John's gospel? There in chapter 1, John said, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, if you've had faith, you're a child of God. And he loves you. He cares for you. And he loves you tenaciously. I have read before that it says that your concept of your heavenly father is directly impacted by your concept of your earthly father. And that can be good and that can be difficult as well. I recognize that. In our culture, sometimes it's good, but sometimes it's difficult to try to think through the Father above. But I want to tell you, no matter how much your Father loved you, the Father above loved you more. I don't know how much your Father disappointed you. Listen to me. The Father above, He sees to your cares and your concerns and your love. No matter what disappointments you've had with your earthly father, the heavenly father is always there for you. If you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, he is there to care for you. And what does he do? Well, notice in that passage again there in Exodus, he said, you go and you tell the Moses to let my people go, that they'll have freedom. Because when the Father comes in and He saves you, what does He do? He frees you. This whole Exodus event, this Exodus motif, it's going to play out in the New Testament. It's going to remind us that we have freedom. We have been delivered just as the people of Israel were delivered from Egypt. We were delivered from the power and dominion of sin in our lives. We were delivered from desires that were not pleasing to God. We were delivered. 
We're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. But just see that. He loves you so much. It is the promise of love that he cares for you and that he frees you. And that he allows you to enter into relationship. A relationship he so desires to have with you. Back to that passage again in Exodus. That these people would be let go. Why? So that they, as God says, serve me. The word serve also can mean worship. They're interchangeable. Service and worship. So here it is. He says, so that they can come and they can worship me. In other words, they can live in relationship with me. They're serving the people there in Egypt. But I want them to come and truly understand worship before me. I want to have this tenacious love relationship with them. Because this is a father above that really wants the relationship. He doesn't want it in name only. He wants it in practice. And the Heavenly Father invites us to be able to enjoy that relationship. So you see these three fatherly images? They all speak to us in different ways. Jethro, the power of blessing. The power of blessing. Of a father's blessing. And I pray that if we're fathers, what do we do? We show blessing in our children's lives. Moses. Moses, the great deliverer, shows us the peril of neglect. And maybe there's some areas in our lives, guys, let me just say this. Some areas right now we need to clean up. We need to take care of. You know, everybody else thought Moses was doing well. Everybody else except God because God can see where other areas, in areas that others can't. And maybe God is searching you out and convicting you this morning saying, hey, there's, there's this area you just need to put some attention in. And then some of us, we just need to be reminded of the promise of the love of the Heavenly Father. And how that promise, how that pursuit continues each and every day of our lives. It's a message to us as fathers, but to all of us in our families as we seek Him. Let's pray together. Father, we come to You and we thank You for this day. And God, I'll, I come to You recognizing my own individual failures. And I pray, Lord... That just as you have searched my heart, Father, that you will allow my heart to be turned to you in a way, in a process that is pleasing to you. God, I pray for the men who are here in this room right now. There are some who are married, who are fulfilling that role of husband. I, I pray that you call them out to be better men each and every day. I pray for those who are fathers here. God, help us. Help us to focus not just on the big mission and work, but, Lord, on the, on the sacred work with our family. And, God, help us to be reminded of your distinct love for us. There are some in this place that you're going to make husbands and fathers. And, God, I pray right now that you'd speak to them, that they would commit even at this moment, even now, before they even know who their spouse would be, before they even know their names of their children, that you'd call them out now. And Lord, that you would help them commit their lives to you fully so that as they're prepared for a family yielded toward you, Lord, they will lead appropriately. God, we thank you. We praise you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.